Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Hlaud, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. Hey there, and thanks for tuning in. In this week's sermon, I explored Luke chapter 4, where Jesus goes to his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. And um, it's this story of how everything seems to be going so well until all of the sudden uh, the people become angry with Jesus. And we explore this story and its meaning. A special thank you uh, to my good friend, Pastor Alex Hoops, um, for our conversation and your inspiration that helped to form this message. Uh, Love you, buddy. Hope that you get something out of this message this week and that the sermon speaks to your life. Good morning. Good morning. When you come to church, maybe this morning or regularly, what type of message are you hoping to hear? What type of word do do you crave? Do you want to hear? Maybe some weeks when you come to worship, you, you are looking for a word of comfort. Very valid, right? Comfort uh, for all of our struggles and all of our anxieties and all of our pain. Or maybe when you come to worship, sometimes you're looking for a good dose of inspiration, right? You want to be filled up. You want to be filled with, with a story or with light and love so you can go out into the world and you can live and love like Jesus and you can tackle your Monday to-do list. I get that, right? I started thinking this week as I read the text I wonder what that, that crowd of faithful people, God's people in Nazareth, I wonder what they were expecting or longing for on that Sabbath day when they came to the synagogue knowing that their hometown boy, Jesus, would be back and he would play a central role in worship that week. Now I've preached in my hometown synagogue, Messiah Lutheran Church up in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. And it's, it's a great feeling, but it's one that comes with some anxiety and some pressure, right? I grew up in that congregation, and, and as I stood up to preach in the pulpit, I knew that, well, well, there was Alan and Matt, and I played soccer with them for years, and they know all the stories of how we trashed hotel rooms in Indiana, <laughs> right? How our team got banned from ever coming back to the Holiday Inn. And there was Mrs. Trott, my third grade teacher. And she probably is thinking about how I copied on my spelling test from Katie. And and there are all of those people that remember when I was just knee high, right? But even with all that anxiety, um, when I preached in my hometown synagogue, there was this level of affection, of love of excitement, of joy. And I wonder if the hometown faithful in Nazareth were were just beaming with joy as Jesus stood up in Luke chapter 4. And as he went um, there and he received the scroll. Can you imagine now if you're one of those faithful people in Nazareth? Oh, look at him. Look at Jesus. Boy, he's really filled out. He He looks great. Look at that beard. I'm so proud of him, right? Oh, what did he get? What? Oh, Isaiah, this hips of God, right? Isaiah. The people would have known these words, and as Jesus stood up to read 
from the scroll, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Yes, Jesus, yes. Because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. You can imagine all the eyes on Jesus so proud and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the people are waiting for the next line that many of them would have known by heart. But Jesus stops. He doesn't continue reading when He should have. And He rolls up the scroll and He hands it back to the attendant and he sits down. How do we know that Jesus should have continued reading? Two reasons. One, the original passage in Isaiah 61 does not stop there. And two, we're told here in Luke 4, when he rolled up the scroll and gave it back, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. What, what is he doing? You could imagine people kind of whispering to one another. He, he got it wrong. Can you imagine if in the gospel reading today I stopped halfway through the reading in your bulletin? You'd be looking at me like, you, you, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Does anybody know what comes right after in Isaiah 61? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In the day of vengeance for our God. The day of vengeance for our God, Jesus omits. And if he were to continue reading, he would talk about God's vengeance upon God's enemies and how the foreigner will no longer drink your wine and the stranger will no longer eat your grain. The losers will no longer have their way with God's people. They will serve you. They will serve in your vineyards. They will be your slaves. And Jesus omits it. He cuts it off. He stops with good news. Now this was the best part for the people of God, the people who had been oppressed, the people who had been attacked, the people who had, been, uh, who had felt that they were taken advantage of. Jesus, you're leaving out the best part about how we win and others lose, about how God is saying that God will protect us and God will smite our enemies. All the wine, all the grain will be ours. You're leaving it out. It's almost as if Jesus wants to begin his ministry with mercy and not hatred. It's almost as if Jesus wants to begin his ministry with a word of of sight to the blind, recovery to the captives, of liberation, and not anger. It's almost as if Jesus is telling us in his very first sermon that his entire ministry will be marked by eating with sinners, by welcoming the stranger, by healing his enemies. Remember the story when he heals the ear of the slave in the contingent that's trying to arrest him? It's almost as if Jesus is telling us that his ministry will reflect a different nature and character of God that maybe at times the people have misaligned. That God is actually one of radical hospitality, of love, of peace, of grace. 
It's almost as if Jesus purposely omits the vengeance that humanity so often seeks. And then he turns up the dial because he turns to the crowd and he says, certainly you've heard of my miracles and the signs that I've done in Capernaum and you want me to do those here. Well, let me tell you, let me remind you rather of two of your favorite prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And you remember how in their ministry they did not heal the people of Israel, the lepers and the sick. Rather, they were called by God to the Syrian, to the foreigner. Jesus begins his ministry by not only stating that his life and work will not be defined by vengeance, it will be defined by an extension of God's promise to those that God's people had deemed outsiders. Jesus, from the very beginning in Luke, is expanding God's ministry, God's promise, God's covenant. And all throughout Luke, Jesus will be extending this kingdom vision to new people all along the way. And what happens in his hometown crowd? The people are filled with rage. They're filled with rage. The people who knew him from knee high do not want to hear a message of how God just might be a God of forgiveness for one's enemies. Now, if you think this is foreign and distant, I would like to remind you that we are living in a culture right now where it seems to me everyone underneath the surface is just boiling, ready to pop at any moment. If somebody says the wrong thing, or they go a little bit too far, or they talk about something that you don't agree with, have, have you experienced this or is it just me? A normal conversation very quickly turns into, no, you're stupid, right? We're living in a culture that is manufacturing rage, hatred, malice toward another. It's manufactured, it's marketed, and we can't help but consume it all the time. We are like that crowd in Nazareth. And there are some among us that are just so ready to throw the Republicans and Donald Trump off the cliff. And there are some among us that are just so ready to throw the Democrats and Nancy Pelosi off the cliff. Right? And it's not even just political. It's about everything today. There's nothing new under the sun. We are just like the hometown crowd. And when we hear a message that goes too far about mercy and love and forgiveness, we don't want to think about that. It's easy for us as people to find ourselves in this encampment. And we live in a world of confirmation bias where we only want to hear things that we already agree with. And all the while we've lost sight of God's Word and God's message for us. 
which is good news. Jesus is not so much telling God's people that God is against them. Jesus is simply saying God is for everyone. God is for the Syrian and the outcast. Do we hear what Jesus omits? He omits vengeance. And sometimes I feel like we lose sight of the fact that our Christ was crucified. People killed him because of this message. It went too far. Not only the Roman authorities and leaders, his own people plotted with the powers of the day to crucify him. Why? I think they had a hard time wrapping their mind around this idea that God is so much more for something than God is against something. The lowest common denominator for humanity has always been to find what you're against and then to stoke up the fear and the hatred and the malice. Jesus, through Luke, shows us what it means to be for something. He's for mercy. He's for love. He's for forgiveness, even for his enemies. On the cross, what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And that is really good news for you and for me, because the reality is, it's easy for us to take a position and a platform that we are righteous and others are unrighteous. It's really easy for us to think that my morals, my values, my way of thinking is the right way, and these people, they've got it wrong. What we need now more than ever is a great dose of humility pie to recognize that we are broken, that we are fractured, that we are a flawed humanity who is tearing one another apart and Jesus weeps. Jesus weeps. Does humanity have disagreements? Yes. Do the conversations need to happen in our world? Yes. But do we need to lose love? No. Jesus, before Pilate, stands there with no need to defend his kingdom, with no need to defend his ministry, with no need to prove that he is right and they are wrong. Jesus simply loves and he shows us the very heart of God. I imagine Jesus was terrified during moments of his ministry. There on the edge of the town as they scooped him up and they forced him maybe backpedaling to the edge of a cliff. His third grade teacher and his soccer buddies ready to throw him off. But we're told Jesus walks calmly through their anger, through their rage, and he moves on. I was watching National Geographic the other day and I was watching a special about how lions hunt. Fascinating, right? So a male lion will go to the edge of a watering hole, king of the jungle, and the male lion will wait for animals to gather, wildebeest, other things to gather, zebra. And when they gather at the watering hole, the male lion will get up on 
his haunches and let out the biggest roar of the jungle, right? And naturally, all of the animals that have gathered to drink will run away from that. But what they aren't aware of is it, that it's the female lionesses that do the hunting and the killing. And so they will run away from the scary male lion and they will run right into their death. A pack of them waiting. And I was sitting there watching that thinking, this will be perfect in a sermon. <laughs> right? Just taking notes in my journal. Because the wisdom is this. We are often terrified, as I imagine Jesus was, of walking into, towards that which seems scary and daunting. We are often terrified of walking into the storm. We are terrified of, of doing that. But if all of those wildebeests and zebras ran towards the lion, maybe the male lion could get one of them and the rest would blow right on by. And as I think about Jesus and his ministry, I thank God that we have a Lord who is never afraid of walking towards and through the tension and the anxiety and the turmoil of his time. He never operated with fear, not even of his enemies. Jesus was centered always on love. And yet it was love that crucified him. His love, his way of being, of operating, got him crucified. But church, it was love that raised him from the dead. And so love wins. Life wins. Mercy is stronger than your vengeance. God's forgiveness will always be more powerful than holding a grudge. And we are God's people. And so I need this message you need this message, and the world doesn't even know that they desperately crave another way. So church, maybe for one week, turn off, turn off your little marketing machine in your living room that's pumping you full of hatred and malice towards your neighbor. Open the Word. Open your heart. And find the way of Jesus the way that walks through the storm, the way that leads to new life. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.